Voices are exotic dancers enter one by one. Make love to all of your orifices in your seduction. Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, I discuss my moral foundations again, and I do it with Chris Shelton. He is a podcaster, and his podcast is called Sensibly Speaking. He publishes on YouTube and elsewhere. And if you recall, I had a very similar conversation with Jesse uh, in the last episode. Now, I brought this to a multitude of different people because I wanted to see what kind of response I would get. Obviously, I'm trying to get people to buy into these systems. And I really want to get whatever kind of feedback or whatever kind of negation to or lack of acceptance of that I might get from people. I want to get it out in the open so that when I write my book, I'll be able to address those things. Well, where Jesse seemed to sort of take this on board and and agree with it, Chris does not. But I don't want to spoil it. Let's listen in to our discussion. Yeah, let's start. So the idea that I had, and, and so after talk, after talking to you for, uh, like you said, like five hours. Right? Yeah, we've talked like like total quite a few amount, hours. Yeah. yeah, the total amount of time. Well, just so just introduce yourself real quick, just so we get that audio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Shelton, uh, podcaster, author, former Scientology whack and <laughs> critical now, thinker at large. Critical thinker at large. Yeah. yeah uh, cult expert and um, just trying to help make the world a better place. Publish on the Sensibly Speaking podcast. Correct? Yes. My, my okay. podcast is Sensibly Speaking. Um, Comes out twice a week. Is that right? Once a week. Once a on week. On Saturdays. Okay. And then every Every week I do a Q&A show. Right. And I answer viewer questions that they've sent to me, mostly about Scientology, but lately it's been far ranging. You know, last sure. week I on the, I did a live podcast and talked about God, talked about religious belief, talked about Scientology, talked about all kinds of things. So, um, so you'd, so there isn't a, I'm not a, I'm not a one note wonder anymore. <laughs> sure. You're branching out. Yes. That's very fantastic. Much so. Very much so. Um, I just wanted to make sure we got that plug in. Yep. Um, so I invited you here because, uh, uh, as with the last guest that we had for this particular topic, we're going to do what I'm calling moral landscaping, kind of a play on words based off of Sam Harris's book. But this isn't the ideas in here aren't just from that book or, you know, they're they're kind of from all over the place because I've had to sort of change the way I think about morality based on um, a few conversations I've had you with you being some of them, other people also, and then some other podcasts that I've listened to and some other ideas that I've sort of tried to incorporate. So right. I wanted to throw this at you. So this is sort of what I would call the foundation of it, right? Mm -hmm. The foundation of this moral landscaping. And the idea here is that I build a moral framework that I can actually utilize in my worldview so I can apply it to my life and the way that I look at the world and think about the world. Um, but also I can solve any problems that I run into morally speaking. So this allows for that framework. So this is meant to be a practical framework not just a theoretical sort of you know, I don't know, Schopenhauer's ethics versus Kant's reason or whatever. Exactly. It's, this is more like, hey, let's yeah. break, let's get nuts and bolts, let's get real world, let's get rubber meets the road. Yeah, let's actually let's actually plug in some of our potential issues or moral dilemmas or conundrums or whatever, and let's let's see if we can utilize this foundation and this uh, moral landscaping to sort of come out on the other side in a place where we're comfortable with what we decided, so we can actually make some moral decisions and not have to worry as much, or maybe we do. It'll depend, right? That'll depend on how well the foundation is built and and what the buy-in is on the premises, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do with you is build this foundation and see is 
their buy-in on the premise. Excellent. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Sounds like an idea. So, yeah. okay, a couple of things to keep in mind. So, um, initially, I- I'm going to talk about sort of the foundational elements of morality. And I want to get into, there's two basic elements that I want to take into account. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have a ton of disagreement on these elements, mm-hmm. um, but maybe a little bit on one of them. So, I do think that it seems, or I do think that there is an objective element to morality. Although morality isn't like all or nothing objective or subjective. I'm I'm going to hybridize the two mm-hmm. because I think, and I think you would agree with this, mm-hmm. the objective world informs our morality. It tells us what is a good deed or a bad deed based on its outcome. So, if you're trying to figure out whether or not you should beat somebody to death for taking your parking space, understanding what beating somebody to death is and what that means is an objective fact in the world. That's a person that is going to be hit and those hits and cuts and whatevers are going to be objectively verifiable. It's not all in your head is what I'm saying. The harm that you're doing in the world is an objective fact. It's either objectively factual that you've harmed a person or that you have not. And that is the objective element of morality that I'm trying to bring into this framework. Okay. What do you think about that? I think it's problematic. And the reason why, and I and, and I will, this will be from a high philosophy level. Sure. Uh, not from a practical level. From a practical level, yes, you're, you know, you could frame it that way. And from a certain point of view, you could go, yes, there are objective consequences. Meaning if you define objective as outside yourself. Yes. I don't define objective that way. So maybe that might be the issue. Sure. Um, because um, I look at objective as outside everybody's view, like independent of any individual or group point of view. Well, that would be the way that I'm talking about the objective harm. So if you beat somebody, uh, you can objectively, independent of anybody's particular view, say, okay, here's how much blood they bled. Here's how much pain they, uh, you know, felt. Mm-hmm. Here's the damage that we caused. And any uh, a person in the world or group of people can independently verify that objectively. Uh, yes, but the co- but the assignment of value to what you did is subjective. So, yes, objectively speaking, anybody could look at the bruises you inflicted and say, yes, there is a bruise there. That is definitely not a matter of opinion. Yes, there is X number of drops of blood or quarts of blood or whatever. That is sure. certainly not an opinion. That is, that is in the realm where we are talking about objective facts. When we say it caused harm, we start getting into the realm with that word harm of subjective experience. It, again, definitions matter here, sure. but I'm talking from harm from the point of view of I'm going to or somebody else is going to say whether that was a, um, a good thing, bad thing, uh, a harmful thing. You know, it's like, oh, that was pain I didn't want. You mm-hmm. know, like harm is sort of like pain I didn't want or yeah. or damage I that, that was inflicted on me that I wasn't that I wasn't looking forward to didn't want to experience yeah right but not all pain is harm no right it, just just bringing in the first thing I'm thinking of I you know I didn't like prepare arguments here but like I BDSM for example right and I think we've talked about this a little bit yeah yeah like BDSM is 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 pain say what BDSM is oh uh, you know it's it's um, bondage sadomasochism bondage mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Bondage and sadomasochism, yeah. Yep. Or oh, domination. domination Bo- bondage, yeah. domination, sadomasochism. Yeah, I'm not a BDSM proponent. I'm not a BDSM. It has its uh, time and place. I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, it's not my thing. I've been on both sides and it was fun. Fair enough. That's and and, I, and I'm totally fine with people doing whatever they want to with it. I actually don't have a big value judgment on BDSM. It's not something I put on my matched account, though. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I know if you're really into it, there are BDSMmatch.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. That was a fun ride. Yeah. yeah. So the point I'm I'm getting to here, of course, is that when you start thinking about what those objective facts mean to you, mm-hmm. that's where we enter the realm of subjectivity. Right. And but the, uh, just to be clear, yes, what I'm submitting into this foundation does not have to do with subjective as I've stated it. I do have a subjective element that I am going to get into. Okay. But it, my, my hackles only went up with the word harm. Sure. Yeah. No, I get that. Fair enough. I just wanted to be clear about that point. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Cool. Because we're actually going to address that in this in the next foundational element, which is Great. subjective, I think, mm-hmm. in nature. But I want to premise it with uh, an idea first, or I want to Great. preface it with an idea first. A lot of the times when I talk to people that say morality is subjective, Mm -hmm. they will bring into... And just so that we're clear, the objective side of it, no other qualms about it. There is an objective reality that informs our morality. Because we can say that these people, 10 for 10, feel pain. Objectively, it's true that they are in pain. If you hit people, they feel pain. You know, if you line up 10 people, 10 people are going to say, no, that hurt. Now, the subjective element to it is potentially one out of those 10 people might say, but I kind of dug it, right? Like, I I like that, right? That's my thing. But you can get into... There there are examples of where our objective understanding of humanity or, or the world itself, for instance, uh, the chemistry of the environment or our atmosphere, our understanding of those objective facts have molded our moral framework. So there was a time when people didn't think, for instance, that pygmies were human beings. They thought they were a different species and maybe outside of the realm of some of the other things human beings should have as human rights. But now that we know for a fact that they are people just like us. Pretty sure the pygmies were sure that they were human the whole time. Very true. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there I, was I, a time when... When people didn't know that. And so they thought, well, maybe these are people we could subjugate. There also was a time not that long ago that women were considered not human in the same way that men were. Chattel and so they, yeah, yeah, so they were subjugated. Our biological science and evolutionary biology has basically made that an impossible position to support. You may believe it still, but you're irrational in doing so based on the evidence. And so I want to just... At least it's from a biological point of view you are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, the argument doesn't hold up There that, is no real argument for it. Yeah. Right. Now, the idea, you could probably concoct some kind of argument. Oh, then they do. I know they do, (laughs) but I would say that probably those... I don't know every single argument that they concoct, but they're they're irrational by definition because of what we know about men and women and how alike they actually are. I mean, so objective reality informs our morality. I'm, I'm making that uh, claim. Objective reality. That's what I said, yeah. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I heard you oh, right. yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. Reality, morality. Objective reality Sounds really informs close. our morality. Sure, yeah. So there's an objective element to morality in that sense. Okay. Now let's talk about the subjective element of morality. Okay. So... 
a lot of people, if say, if trying to prop up this idea that morality is subjective, will bring into, they'll basically cite ancient societies. They'll say, well, for that time in that place, that was moral, according to them. Yes. Or they'll say, this person believes that it's moral. So, killing people isn't a problem for them because they don't have the same restrictions that maybe other people do. Mm-hmm. And and I would put to you, and you touched on this a little earlier, that that, to me, poses a huge problem in us being able to determine whether what they were doing was actually moral or not. It's not subjective in... I'm going to put... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like this. It's mm-hmm. not subjective in that way, in that the person committing the act determines whether or not it's moral. It's subjective in the sense that the person being affected by the act, and you mentioned this with pygmies. You said, well, I bet the pygmies thought they were. Mm-hmm. That's the subjectivity of morality that I'm focusing on, because I don't think that it's reasonable to say, well, the ancient Greeks practiced slavery and pederasty, and that was moral for them at that time, because their society said so. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it was, I'm, that makes it, to me, that says that we can't say that the Greeks were immoral for having slaves or practicing pederasty. Well, it all depends on clarifying from what point of view you're saying that it's immoral. I would certainly agree in this time and place with where we have come to that slavery is absolutely, without any question whatsoever, immoral. Right. The question of whether the Greeks having slaves is immoral, from our point of view right now, is unquestionably, of course, it was immoral. It was immoral now, it's immoral then, it's immoral. Yeah. If you, But if you pose a different question... If you pose the question of, did the Greeks think it was immoral? You have to then put yourself into a different headspace because you're looking at a different place, time, and culture. Sure. And the circumstances of all of that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a far cry from our modern situation, our modern view to the view of somebody from 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Sure. Radically different point of view about every single aspect of their life. Sure. And the reason I'm stressing this and like putting all this heavy emphasis on these words is because I'm trying to point out to the fact that that it's perfectly fine, it's perfectly reasonable to have a conversation or, or to judge, you know, the cultures and values of, of earlier times. Yeah. I think the quality of that judgment is affected by or informed by how well you understand all the factors of that culture, of those people in that place, in that time. Sure. Because it's easy for us. It's far too easy for us to judge others based Based on the circumstances of our lives, and we do this twenty four seven, we look at somebody else's life from our point of view. We have a more objective point of view of their life than they do. Of course, they're yeah. in it by definition. Yeah. yeah, so it's easy for us to lay judgment on. And what is often missed when we do that is the fact that we are doing it from our point of view and not taking into account that individual's point of view, that individual's physical capabilities, spiritual capability, right? emotional makeup, sure. education, culture, etc., etc. All the factors. There's so many. So, I just wanted to point out that um, that it's a different conversation depending on where you're... Are you trying to judge from current standards? And if so, there's nothing wrong with that so long as you are fully aware of and fully acknowledge that that's what you're doing. Because if you go put 
yourself in their headspace at that time and place and location, you're going to find that you're going to think about things differently. Sure. but Right? So, the, so I just wanted to stress the, that difference. No, I, under, I understand that. Okay, cool. Uh, but I think I think it gets, when we stress that difference too uh, rigorously, it leads to an idea that we can't judge the their actions as immoral. And I think what we're losing in that perspective saying, well, I'm going to put myself in the head of the slave owner in Greece or the person that is committing child rape or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not up to that person's headspace to determine what is or isn't moral. It's up to the subject of their immoral action. So what about the headspace of the slave? What about the headspace of the person being raped? That's the space that I'm saying we're going to focus the subjective morality on. I think everything I just said still applies though. Well, it may, but I don't know that I understand why. Because if you're saying from a from ancient Greece's, you know, from their perspective, it was moral, not necessarily from the slave. They were part of ancient Greece as well, and so were the children. I so, know, but we're making a lot of assumptions there. Well, we have to, in some sense, because it's history. But I'm talking about, this is, when I ask people, why is morality subjective? This is what they tell me. They say, because, take ancient Greece, for instance, they thought this was moral. What they never say is, take the slaves of ancient Greece. What did they think about their slavery? That's what determines the harm that they did, that the slave owners did to the slaves, and the, the way the slaves felt, that, to the degree that they didn't want to be slaves, is what I'm sub- submitting as is, was the degree to which that was immoral, even back then. Fair. If you've got I, groups of people mm-hmm. that feel repressed or suppressed, or feel like unwanted harm is being done to them, like you mentioned earlier, right? Like we were saying, some some people like to be spanked or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm not one of them, necessarily. I mean, depends on the mood. You said for sure I'm not one of them. So that would be unwanted, mm-hmm. right? And the degree to which that pain was inflicted and af- inflicted against our will would be the degree to which it was immoral. And that's what I'm trying to put to people. It's that morality does have a subjective element to it, but societies don't make things moral just because a lot of people agree that a, th- a certain action is moral. And individuals don't make their actions moral. What makes their actions moral or immoral are the subjects of whatever act, uh, whatever their actions uh, are, are being done upon. And if we're not taking into account the, the testimony of the slave, then in what way are we talking about morality? That's but that's that's what I would put to the to fair the enough. Well, to 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 bring this down to a rubber meets the road example that I think is going to immediately show up the weakness in your argument. Okay, I will point to any child, anytime, anywhere being disciplined by said child's parent. Sure. Now, if we're going to judge the morality of a parent disciplining a child, and which from way the are recipient's you point about of view, disciplining. Well, I'm talking about various forms of discipline. I mean, you could have physical discipline, which I'm not down with. I mean, we already know, you know, that we've come to a place now where we know that beating on kids in order to discipline them is not, you know, a productive thing for them on a long-term basis, right? So, okay. so and, and I don't want, you know, when we're talking theoreticals here, I want to make it super clear that these are thought experiments and this is not me defending slavery or defending child abuse, Okay, right? We're talking about, you know, sort of at a thought experiment level here. Mm-hmm. Any kind of discipline that's exerted on a child is done against the child's will. Sure. That's why you're disciplining him to teach him that 
you know, his actions have his or her actions have consequences. Sure. And those consequences are not always pleasant. Mm -hmm. Now, an ideal parent situation is going to be able to do something like that by appealing to reason more than physical pain or something. But there are times, especially with young children, where you have to manhandle them. You know, the kid's about to go grab something. He's about to put his hand on the snake. He's about to do something for which you cannot just say to him, let's have an appeal to reason right now. You might have to grab his body, Mm -hmm. yank his arm, you know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, in an otherwise incautious moment, parents will spank their children or whatever. Best of intentions. Maybe. Right? So, I mean, well, in the example I'm giving, let's say we have a good parent here. We don't have a child abuser. You know, you're run-of-the-mill parent who wants their kid to grow up and succeed and be a success in the world. Okay. And so, if the child is, has his hand slapped, has his arm, arm yanked, has you know, some amount of pain connected with that incident, let's say, Mm -hmm. or even without physical pain. I mean, emotionally, you know, or psychologically, the child wants the candy, damn it, I want the candy, you know, and the parent's like, no, you can't have the candy, man. You've already had five pieces of candy. You're going to get sick to your stomach. And we've already done this. We've already proven this is true last year, you know, at Halloween. So here we are again. And here you are, you want to eat all the candy in one go. And I'm going to stop you from doing that because I know as as an adult in the room that that is just not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to get sick, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to be sick. Yeah, neither do you. So, exactly. So, clearly it's a moral act, you know, pre- from pretty much anybody's So, how does that derail the idea that the be- subject is somebody we need to take into because account? Because the child is going to radically disagree with that parent disciplining them, but enforcing that on them, telling them they can't have the candy. Because from the child's point of view, mm-hmm. it's their candy. They went and got it. Sure. Uh, it's my, in my booty from the trick-or-treating, right? How mm-hmm. How dare you? But does that mean we shouldn't take into account what the child wants? I mean, does uh, that no, mean we shouldn't you, you said it's determined it by the subject of the action, though. Not just taking into account. What, what I understood you to say is that that's this is the point of view from which we will decide whether an act is moral or immoral. And, if, and I'm pointing well, it, out that in this in in every instance of this, yeah, that doesn't work because well, it we know from has the, to be taken into account yeah. at some point, though, right? I mean, yes. are you able to? Then, according to your example, are you able to then say, I know what's best for you and you must do what I want you to do? Mm -hmm. At what point does that become untenable? Because you may have that, you may have a great moral example or or a great great moral argument for that up to a certain age or up to a certain development level Mm -hmm. or whatever. Which is exactly the point. But that doesn't doesn't discount a a full-grown slave, for instance, and what they would want for their life. Oh, no, not at all. But I'm just pointing up an example where you gave a very broad sure. rule of thumb that we're going to judge the morality of any action based on the recipient's point of view well, of said just action. To be, just to be clear, these and are I'm not pointing out. Just to be clear, these are not these are not super broad. I, I'm trying to mm-hmm. refine these down and sharpen these. So excellent. Well, I'm just trying to help when you with I, that. Yeah, no, I get that, I, I, and I want I want that, yeah. but I still think that so it, we're not even going to talk about whether or not hitting a child is more unless we take into account whether or not the child wants to be hit. I mean, it's not even a question of morality unless you're asking the subject. So, the reason you brought that up is because the subject clearly doesn't want whatever uh, authoritative measure is being taken or whatever, right? Clearly. 
Right. Clearly, the so child does clearly, not want that happening. So clearly, the only reason that's a valid example is because we have a subject that doesn't want something to happen to them. Which I understand your point, and I would say that this is a this is like this is pater for how do we use this uh, this foundation that I'm trying to build here to determine what is the correct moral action, right? Because I, I I take your point though. There would be certain instances, for instance, uh, a, a very young child, right? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't understand that if I eat 20 chocolate bars, I'm going to get very sick. But that's how the objective element of morality informs us. We objectively know that if you eat 20 Snickers bars, you're probably going to get sick. The child doesn't objectively recognize that mm-hmm. and has a subjective desire for said Snickers bars, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, to me, this is just a, a great example of how to use both subjective and objective. Now, granted, I take your point that the subject may not be taken into account in some sense, but you're still, with this example, you're still talking about somebody violently, potentially, like a two-year-old, right? Um, Disagreeing with your decision to not let them eat a chocolate bar. Right. So, from the child's point of view, you stealing his candy, his Halloween candy, let's say, is an immoral act. You know, there's no question about it. Sure. And there are many layers of arguments as to why the child's wrong. You know, I mean, it's not fully developed yet. That, though, speaks to the subjective element of morality. Well, there it's is all going about the be. subjective. Yeah, because it's the parent versus the child. And you have two minds at work there. Mm-hmm. One of those minds, we well, just all... Just to be clear, it's not all about the subjective. There is an objective fact that this child's going to get sick. Well, there's a there's an objective reality. St- there's a statistical you probability. You wouldn't even give a shit how many Snickers bars the kid ate if the objective reality wasn't that they were going to get sick. If it was the best objective... Oh, there could was... be other moral arguments made for why a child wouldn't eat candy, except they for getting sick. Well, yeah, but I mean, it was some kind of harm objectively would have to come to that child for eating all that candy. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be talking about why it's a good or a bad thing. I mean, if it wanted to eat 20 carrots, we probably wouldn't be having the same conversation unless they were really gassy because of carrots and how hard they are hard to digest. Okay. Or parent could have an arbitrary rule that, you know, a child may only eat five pieces of candy at a time and the parent himself or herself might not even understand where that rule came from. It's how they were raised. Sure, but and in so that that's sense, the rule. it's not moral. It doesn't have a moral uh, weighing. It's just arbitrary, like you said. Well, it's arbitrary, but it is also it also is a moral point. It's a it's well, a parent deciding wholly subjectively an arbitrary amount of how much candy the kid can have. Sure. Uh, the point I'm trying to make, though, is if you if you distinguish something as arbitrary, I, I would say that you're now taking it out of this moral framework, because oh. if it's arbitrary, then it doesn't have any reason why yes or no. If you say the person doesn't even know why, then they're not making a moral decision. They don't know what they're doing. They're just saying it's five because I say so. That's the same kind of thing you would say, like a a Christian would say about God, right? Like masturbation is wrong because God said so. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't cause any harm in the world and it doesn't further any human flourishing, then we're not talking about a moral decision. And here's here's what I want to put to you. So that's another elemental that's elemental aspect of this morality. So let's Mm -hmm. let's hit that real quick, okay? Okay. Because that leads us right to it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, here's where I think that s- 
Sam Harris got it right in the moral landscape. Mm -hmm. That morality is basically measured up against a continuum. And on one side of the continuum, you've got pain, suffering, you know, unnecessary sense of loss, depression, whatever, bad things for people. So not human flourishing, right? Human whatever, Mm -hmm. pain, suffering. On the other side, you've got, you know, happiness, satisfaction, human flourishing, you know, an overall good feeling, Mm -hmm. right? Or, Or the betterment of humanity. If we're not talking about how our decisions move us along that continuum, then we're probably not talking about a moral decision. And I think that that's one way to sort of parse out these ideas. So, in the in the case of your candy, right? Mm-hmm. We recognize that if you eat too much candy, you'll get sick. Mm-hmm. And if you eat just the right amount of candy, you'll probably be fine, <laughs> right? Um, and if you don't eat any candy, you, you might not be feeling as good as you could have, right? But if you just arbitrarily pick an amount of candy and you're not weighing whether or not it's going to cause pain or suffering or whether it's going to increase pleasure, then in what way are you determining anything moral? And maybe candy isn't the best way to uh, well, you're highlight talking, this, but... Well, morality is... Morality, first off, let's be clear that we're talking about decisions of right and wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, anything that falls under the purview of is this right or is this wrong in terms of behavior sure. falls under a moral question. Sure. There's some, as- there's some aspect of morality connected with it. So, just because a rule, just because a, a rule of behavior is not understood or its origins are not understood doesn't mean it's not a moral decision or a moral argument. Well, the person that just arbitrarily picks the amount of candy isn't making any moral distinction. They're just saying you can only have five pieces because I said so. Right. And they don't have it. You said they don't understand why or they would or wouldn't. They just said it's just five. However, that's not a moral distinction. There's no moral question there. It's just there's five. There is no reason. What I'm saying is is for it to be moral, there has to be a reason. There has to be some reason why this is good or bad in order for it to be considered moral. So all I'm saying is that the reason doesn't have to be known in order for it to be a moral equation. Well, you might understand the morality of what they're saying, but yeah. they don't is my point. And yeah. so they're not making a moral de- uh, decision. They're not engaging in this framework, in this moral framework. Well, they're not necessarily engaging in your moral framework, but they are still making decisions about behavior. Well, not so, every decision about behavior is a moral one either. No, but a right or wrong, is it right to, you know, I mean, I don't know, we'll just belabor the shit out of this analogy, but, you know, is it right for a child to have six pieces of candy at one sitting? Absolutely not. Why not? Because they can only have But that's not a reason. That's a circular argument that has no basis in any kind of objectivity. I didn't say it was a high quality moral argument. I'm just saying it is an argument. I guess. I don't know how you would prop it up. Well, people behave that according to those kind of principles 24-7. We are surrounded by people who operate on that level of morality. So, we have to acknowledge it exists. Well, hold on. Here's what I want to say to that. I'm not going to argue that people don't think they're moral. I'm not going to argue that people don't act immorally. And I'm not going to argue that people don't think that whatever Bible verse they're clinging on to means that their words are moral. Okay. But unless they're actually engaging in the betterment or the making worse off of human beings and human culture, maybe one person, a child, or maybe a whole group of people, right? Then they're not engaging in morality. They think they are. And I'm not going to argue that they don't think oh, they are. I, I don't know that that is but really a But we have very... great examples of this in masturbation. We well, have great okay. examples yeah, of I this mean, in marriage for the gays. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking. LGBT, not moral right? arguments according to the way that they're being posed by the religious. So but the religious they, feel that those are moral arguments. And I'm not arguing that they don't feel that. But I'm saying they're not engaging in a moral argument. This is the problem I have with morality by fiat, right? This is the problem oh. I have with somebody 
basically saying it's not moral because God said so. Unless you're showing harm or the betterment of a society, you're not talking about a moral argument. You're not talking about a moral decision. If but, you if you take masturbation as the example, right? I, I hate I hate coming across as a defender of all the bad people here, but no, Christians ahead. definitely believe that because God said so. I never said that defines. they didn't. No, no, I know, but you're dismissing it out of hand as well. That's just not a moral argument. It's not. That's not what any of them are going to say, and I'm, that's a majority and, of and the Earth's I'll, population. I'll so. say it again. I'm not going to say. I'm not trying to say that they don't think it's a moral argument. Okay. I'm not trying to okay. say that they uh, don't think they're engaging morally. All right. But if you're talking about masturbation, yeah. you're not talking about a moral anything. There is no moral right or wrong to it in the sense that they're trying to say there is. Because here's what they say. They say you can't masturbate because you'll go to hell because mm-hmm. God doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no hell and there is no God and we can't show it to be true. What we can show is that masturbation causes similar feelings to making love. Not quite as good, obviously, not quite as heightened, but it gives you a little quick serotonin boost. If you're feeling a little low, you can go crack one off and you might feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That's what we can say about masturbation. They don't, to me, if you're not engaged in the objective reality of the world, this is the objective component, then you're not engaging in morality. You have to be able to show how it hurts or helps humanity or humans or individuals. By just saying it is because I say so, that is not morality. That is not a moral argument. And I agree with you that they think it is. But you don't think it is, do you? I I do think it is. Why do you think it is? Because of the reasons that I've explained. Because Uh, they think it is? Yes. Uh, But also because it's... But but also because... Um, because it's a it's a decision. A, a morality is a is a code of, of rules or guidelines or whatever. And these are adopted guidelines or invented or created guidelines or rules or agreements about how behavior should be so that it will be in the value category of good behavior or it'll be in the value category of bad behavior. Anything that, as far as my understanding of all this goes, anything that falls in that realm, for whatever reason, the reasoning behind it is 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 there but it's not the basis of whether you're deciding on right or wrong or good or bad if you are in that realm of deciding this is this object this act this sonnet this you know this opera whatever it is you are deciding on if you are putting a value judgment of good or bad on that thing, then, you know, and you're talking about, especially when you get in the realm of behavior, human behavior, you know, because we're talking about humans, generally, we don't assign morality to lower life forms, because we just, don't think they're capable and, of it. And but, just to be clear for this t- discussion, we are talking about humans. Yeah. So anything above that or added to that would be just sort of icing on the moral cake. Fair enough. So, so when we're dealing with the, the, you know, the subjective assignment of value of good or bad to any act or thing, we're talking about morality. That's okay. my and that's, that's where we disagree. Okay. I'm pushing back against that idea because to me that now props up this idea that you can have a moral claim uh, based by, on fiat. Like you can say because I said so or because my God said so without having to show any actual evidential reason in the world. And if you're going to, if people are going to claim that, for instance, Led Zeppelin is the devil, right? 
right? Music is evil, right? Like the satanic panic of the 80s. Don't listen to Judas Priest. They are saying this stuff is immoral and they have no evidential reason for it. They're just saying it because God said so or because their preacher said so or some other. So this morality by fiat is exactly what one of the reasons why I'm trying to push against this and create a foundation where we can weed out the things that we don't need to deal with because it has no objective basis. This is great because this also highlights, and sorry, I'll let you talk in just a second, but this is great because it also highlights how the objective element of morality keeps us honest. It keeps us focused on what is or isn't actually moral. If we cannot show harm or flourishing in the world objectively, then we are not talking about a moral issue. And so when somebody comes to you and says, you can't listen to Led Zeppelin because it's the devil and you'll go to hell, you could just disregard that using Hitchens Razor because why would you take that seriously? Even though they think it's a moral claim and a moral statement, you don't have to take it seriously because they can't show any evidence that what they're saying is true. So we're not talking about anything in the real world. And I, I, I would put it to you that yes, the subjective element of morality is evident. It's there. We still have to ask the person, what did you think about these actions that happened to you? But objectively speaking, we can disregard a lot of things that people claim are moral because they just don't have any real foundation in reality. Well, that's an argument that's not going not gonna to go very far because the majority of people on this planet believe in a sky daddy of some kind. And they believe that their morality is um, determined by well, sense. And I would say they're wrong. Well, I get that. And they're not talking about morality. I, they're talking about sky daddies. So let me carry the thought further because I think the weakness in your position is that there actually is reasoning there. You're just dismissing it out of hand. Well, and let me explain. The reason, though, I'm dismissing it is because they can't show it. They can't demonstrate it. There is no reason in the sense that they have an evidential point. They don't have a Since reason when in has the that same... been the basis of anything people do? <laughs> well, l- l- let's be clear. L- let's be clear. <laughs> Let's be clear. (laughs) I I, I feel like you're taking this position and you don't believe this position. You're just taking it to say there are a lot of people that would disagree with me. And I'm I'm not saying there aren't. No, I'm trying to demonstrate a point. Okay. Um, Which is that um, you're dismissing, based on your value judgment of another person's ethics and moral system and the framework that they base it on, it is a framework. It's a workable framework in that people live their lives according to these principles. There are people who do not drink, who don't take drugs, who don't, you know, who abstain from physically damaging behavior, societally damaging behavior because of this moral framework. Mm -hmm. So to just discount it because it doesn't have any quote unquote evidentiary basis as far as you're concerned dismisses literally like about 80, 90 percent of the moral framework that this that the people of this planet believe in. So so I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that. That's the point I'm trying to make because it immediately because it immediately says that all of these people who have a religious basis for their morality eh, fuck them. Eh, they don't know what they're talking about. They're irrational. They're reasonable. Well, to that the, doesn't, that's not, that's not a rubber beats the road practical approach to morality. That is a very ivory tower approach. To the degree that their morality falls in line with humanism and uh, an understanding of evidential morality or the objective elements of morality and then the sub 
subjective element of morality, I would say they are moral and I would I would I would work with them. Now see, this is this is a good point to bring up. So just because if you take on this foundation that I'm proposing as your foundation, uh, this is now to the listener or whoever, if you're doing that, that doesn't mean, for instance, that you can just disregard somebody as immoral because they're Hindu or because they're they're uh, you know Muslim or because mm-hmm. they're Christian. You still, and this is this is a hard learned uh, fact of of what I've had to deal with in my life, and I think other people too that put moral issues to people and ask them. You still have to deal with individuals individually. An individual may have an immoral position and have exactly your worldview according to them. So I've put it to many people who believe in epistemology and the scientific worldview and methodological naturalism and so on, and they still hold immoral positions on, say, capital punishment, right? That is something I learned, but any Christian or any Muslim or any whatever that you come across, you're still going to have to go through the hard work of asking them, well, what do you think? And what do you believe? And what's moral to you? And so on. It isn't isn't a catch-all. But what I am going to say is that anybody that says it's moral because my God said so, that is not a moral position. That doesn't have any grounds in reality. And if you're going to prop up why you think, for instance, certain people should be should have their rights taken away because they're the people that God said aren't good enough or whatever, then you are not only propping up an immoral proposition based on your God just because God said so without any evidence or any reason whatsoever, but you're now going against humanism. You're now saying certain people can't have rights based on that. So it's clearly immoral what you're saying. Well, from your point of view, it is, not from theirs. Well, no, from the people whose rights they're taking away. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that other people are immoral full stop because I say so. I'm saying take into account the subjects. You've got a whole gay population that a whole Christian population. Well, let's be clear. Let's be clear because it doesn't sound like you you got it. Let's be clear. And I don't mean that in a rude way. I'm sorry. Well, no, what you said before was they don't have a moral, they have no, that is not a moral question. You literally dismissed the entire question. No, I dismissed the foundation of why they're saying it's moral. They're saying it's because my God. And that's not right. Of course it is. Why would you dismiss Christianity as an actual worldview unless, then on what basis are you dismissing anything that they say? If they say because God, and you're not dismissing it, then on what basis are you dismissing anything? Because there are other agreements that we've made in our society and in our culture that don't give them the power to carry out what it says to do in Leviticus. And we make a, okay, right? Stone the gates, right? Yes. We don't, that's a moral position. Homosexuality is wrong. It goes against God's law Mm -hmm. as written in the Bible, which is an objective fact. It is written in the Bible. That is an objective reality. That's not an opinion. But just because things are written in a book doesn't mean they're right. I didn't say that they were right. Well, it sounds like you're kind of saying that there's some validity because it's written in the Bible. I'm pointing out that you were pointing out objective reality should inform our moral decision making. Agreed. It is an objective reality that there is a book called the Bible. And in that book, it is written that gays should be stoned. Isn't it also an objective reality that lots of books are written about a lot of things? And we can point to any one of them for any reason? They all inform people's different moralities. So it would it would be it's clear to me that objective reality has many books and we can't just point to one book and say well it's because God wrote this book because we don't have any objective reality of that and and I would agree with you but I know that there are a 
bunch of people who won't. Well, and here's the thing. So, why are you taking on their position? Why do you I'm care? Tra- because I'm trying to show that the word morality and the subject of morality doesn't bend its will to your dismissal of other people's moral values just because you think there's no evidentiary basis for it. If you, I'm trying to get to this place here where, okay. gonna, so let me just say this out loud now sure. so I can get it out of the way. If you go talk to a religious scholar and you talk to them about why is it that, you know, the LGBT community is immoral? What, what's up with that, right? A religious scholar is not going to, somebody who really knows what they're talking about isn't going to just sit down with you and go, well, because God said so. They're going to provide you with a very detailed explanation and argument for why that is, right? Why did God write that? What was God's purpose? I mean, there's all kinds of religious apologetics and interpretation that has occurred over the centuries. Are any of those valid to, arguments? I'm trying to point out that they are or sound. They are arguments. I'm not saying that they're sound arguments or that I agree with them. Okay, but, but then the if fact they're that not an sound argument, or valid, then who cares? I can come up with any ridiculous argument. How does that prop up the position that I'm now talking about morality? Because if morality... the reason I say it's is, morality isn't sound or valid. Because morality is a wholly subjective experience. So you're going to have to deal with the fact that other people are going to have different ideas about this. Uh, they are going to be... I'm not saying people don't have different ideas about it. Okay. I'm not saying... Uh, this is the part... Okay, I feel like you're arguing with me for no reason. I'm not saying, as I said earlier, and I'll say it again, that people aren't immoral, that they don't hold up their moral positions as moral, even though they're not, mm-hmm. that they don't think they're moral, or that they don't think that what they're doing is moral, or whatever. There are people who think that it's fine to kill other people, and that is immoral by definition, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you recognize morality as what it is, this framework that I'm talking about, then it is immoral. But they're not going to believe that, or they're not going to agree with you, and I totally say yes, that's true. There are people like that. I'm not arguing that there aren't people like this. Well, my my position is that I'm trying to think of, you know, when you present a moral system, it's something that I'm assuming is going in the direction of, and maybe this is an unwarranted assumption on my part, mm. that you're moving in the direction of trying to apply this moral framework to the world at large mm-hmm. and gain broad agreement on said moral framework. You want other people to think this way. I think it would be helpful sometimes, yeah. I, I, what I want to do first and foremost is test it. And okay. I want to test it with real world situations. Well, I'm giving you lots of real world situations where some of this breaks down. Mm, I haven't heard one yet, but we'll get there. I wanted to come Dude, back and do I, that. Dude, you said morality is determined by the recipient. I point out to you that every child being spanked is going to tell you that's an immoral action mm-hmm. that literally contradicts your principle. Well, hold so, on. I'm saying that morality has a subjective element to it. I'm also saying that morality has an objective element to it. Yes. And I think that if we, we're we trying to determine the morality of giving a child a certain amount of chocolates or whatever, mm-hmm. we can plug in this framework. We have now a subjective element to take into account. Mm-hmm. And, and as your point, the child's not wanting to or, or wanting to have as many chocolates as they want. An objective element to it that a certain amount of chocolates will make a child sick. And then also that that child does not, as demonstrated, have the mental capacity to know when that limit is. And the parent seems to know as long as they're not just saying it's five because I say so, they actually have a reason behind why they're saying, you know, you might want to stick with two and then wait a few hours and then maybe have two, you know, whatever their whatever their solution is, right? That's an objective element. That's a subjective element. And that is how we come to the moral decision of what is right for the child, right? So now, then the fact Recognizing of... that some children don't know what's right for themselves. They don't know that burners are hot until they put their hand on it and so on because mm-hmm. they haven't been around long enough to even understand such things. So 
would that not then? I mean, you, I, I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood, but it, it, it sounded to me like you were presenting that moral, that you said earlier, that moral judgments are made based on the recipient's feelings about it. I said that that's part of the of, part of it of the subjective element okay. of morality. Cause, well, because you, yeah. you made a big deal about words, the slaves, and I and you know you said, well, the slave masters are the ones we're always thinking about, and we never talk about the slaves. And I understood from what you were saying that you know that is where you would make the moral decision from is from the viewpoint of the slaves, not absolutely. taking the slaves into account. That that that's where you're looking at it from. Yeah, when so, I'm saying that morality has a subjective element to it. Yeah, right. I want to make sure because I hear so often that people say things like ancient Greece said that slavery was moral or we thought slavery was moral back in the day or whatever, right? That that is not it's it doesn't mean it was moral because our government said so. It doesn't mean it was moral because Greece as a whatever population had that they voted that into, you know, slavery was okay. We we need to ask the slaves, is this something you want to have happen to you? So there isn't a subjective element in that way. And we there is a way to determine whether or not an action is moral or immoral while taking into account the subject. I don't want to lose track of the people being acted upon. Now, if you're talking about, let's take your child, right? And wants to eat candy. Now, does this child understand what situation they're requesting? Do they understand that if they eat 20 chocolates, they'll get really sick? Probably not, according to what your argument was, right? Like they don't even know what they don't know. And so in this case, yes, we would we would ask the child. For instance, we wouldn't say you're going to eat five of these chocolate bars with you want to or not. That would be a, a thing a child would be like, well, I, you know, I'd really prefer to have... I'm, I'm not really a big fan of chocolate. I'd, uh, do we have Skittles? You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't just force feed a, ch- a child five chocolate bars. No, but still, parents force feed their children vegetables every day. Sure, but you still have a subjective element to this. And that's all I'm saying is that there is a subject involved here and we should take into account their wishes. Otherwise, we're not... All right. Well, it definitely did not sound like that's what you were saying before, which is why I constructed an entire argument. Which apparently is a complete waste of time. So well, no, it's like I, no, I, no. It was know. good going through the. It was good going through the going through of it because we got to a couple other places that I think were important. Obviously, okay. so don't. Yeah, no. There's no bad. There's no bad use of our time here. We're having okay. that. We're having a good time. But okay. So does it? Is it clearer or does it make more sense what I've said now about the objective element of morality, the subjective element of morality, and that we're talking about a spectrum here from good to bad or from flourishing to non-flourishing? Yes. Was there anything else that? you wanted to put to me that might not be that might help illustrate whatever trepidation I, I, maybe you have? we should just go through the whole framework because i'm I, I fear that i'm presenting arguments that are are not really against what you're saying or something i don't know i'm very confused right now why are you confused? i'm positive you told me earlier that the morality is determined by the subject receiving the action and now that's not the case and i'm well, very no, that, confused that's about part that. of it for sure you brought up a very good example where now we have to take into account some of the limitations of the subject. Mm-hmm. But okay. I, I just I just got I guess I just got really confused there. So I'm just a little frustrated right now. So so if that's not what you were saying and I misunderstood you, then I well, misunderstood. The reason you know? why I'm saying these things to you is to bounce them off of you okay. and then modify what I'm saying if they need to be modified. So I see. you bring up a point. Uh, now 
now where you're okay. talking about how a child. Right. So when we're talking about a moral decision, yeah. we have to take the subject into account. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. But I would agree with that 24-7. In the case of the child, like you said, yeah. there are instances where we would have to take into account more the objective elements of morality. In this case, a child may want and believe that it's immoral to take away the 20 chocolate bars. But objectively, we know that that child's going to get sick. And so we restrict the amount of chocolate that that child can have in order to ensure that they're not going to get sick. Mm-hmm. So your your example, while making me further sort of hone this idea of what do we take into account when we take into account subjective morality, actually ended up showing us some way, a very good way, how objectively morality is sort of honed and shaped. It's okay. not completely up to the subject. Some of that depends on the subject. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, all of this is relative. All of it. And that's the that's the thing about it that makes it so tricky to talk about. Because morality is defined by values. And values come from people's brains. And they're determined by thousands of different factors. So it so it's uh so you know, creating general broad rules or frameworks for this is <laughs> difficult at best. Difficult, yes. You know. It's taken me a lot of time to do this. Yeah. But you have to but you have to recognize that that you're dealing with relative frameworks that change over time and location. Well they change as know? our objective reality comes becomes more clear to us. So like for instance, uh, burning fossil fuels was a definite moral benefit right up to the point where we realized through objective chemistry that our atmosphere was going to reach a point of no return where the good was going to outweigh the bad. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, the bad was going to outweigh the good. Mm-hmm. So the, as far as humans were concerned. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the activity of burning fossil fuels became untenable morally when we learned that the chemistry of the atmosphere was going to change in such a way. As to destroy the species. As to the, yeah, potentially destroy the species and at the very least cause it immense pain and suffering. Exactly. So that's that's how I would frame it in, in those types of instances. I mean and, I, just, and on that basis I agree completely with your point regarding object, I, I just objective reality informs our morality. I, I, I agree with that completely. The thing I think I worry about or that that confuses me or that uh, causes my sort of red flags to pop up is when like you said it's relative. Meaning like each individual person can determine their their own uh, parameters. Each individual person does In the determine case, their own parameters. Well, we just gave a case of uh, climate change mm-hmm. where each individual person doesn't. The climate is objectively going to change. The chemistry of our environment is going to change based on actions we've taken. There is no individual spin on that one thing. There are people, I'm not arguing that there aren't, but there are people that don't think that this is going to happen, that this is a, a hoax from China or or some other mm-hmm. such nonsense. There's a whole spectrum of arguments from fairly rational to completely irrational. But the idea that it's going to change is not does not matter whether or not you think it's going to change, or I think it's going to change, or this other person thinks it's going to change. Well, what matters a, is the, the science of it. Well, that's true. And the science of it, if we're going to be really honest... So in that sense, it's not relative is all I'm saying. Oh, but it is, because okay. we have to acknowledge the fact, and this is all in an ultimate sense, okay? I'm not arguing with you on a practice. I agree that climate science is real and that we need to do something about it. I think it's an existential crisis that affects all of us. But I have to acknowledge the fact that they could be wrong or they could be wrong about certain important 
factors of it. Because if you don't acknowledge that, then you're not being intellectually honest about the fact that science is not about truths. It's about probabilities. Right. And there's a probability based on all the information that we have. There's, there are these probabilities as we move forward. And I'm not arguing with those probabilities. Right. But I have, but I have to acknowledge the fact that they are probabilities. They are not certainties. Sure. Operating as though they're certainties and making moral claims about those certainties as though they are certainties could end up in trouble. You could end up in some trouble with that. Because what we claim to have as a certainty, no scientist anywhere in the world who is worth his salt would ever tell you <coughs> that science gives you truth well, or that science gives no, you certainty. I, I just don't think it has so to I, be that particular when we're talking about this. I, but I think it is because you when you're talking about... don't have to take about, into account the guy that says it's a hoax from China. Okay. Don't you? Why would you have to take into account that person's perspective? Don't we have reason to... Because he's a human being who has but it, his own points of view Isn't he basically things? the human being who's the child that doesn't understand that 20 chocolate bars are going to make him sick? Possibly. So, in that Possibly. sense... Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, you dem yeah. if you're a human being and you demonstrate that you are not qualified to speak on the surgical methodology of taking out a spleen, right? Yeah. Why would we listen to your suggestions on how to take out a spleen? Yeah, no. There wouldn't necessarily be any reason to. That's the point I'm trying to make. Understood. But if you're going to talk about what am I hanging my hat on when it comes to my morality, you know, and you talk about objective realities, you know, these are these are very black and white ideas. And I'm just trying to point out that human behavior and, and human knowledge and stuff isn't that black and white. Well, certainly people aren't for sure as smart as they could be or understand everything the way they could or whatever. I'm just proposing that we push for that, that we try to get as educated as possible about the objective world so that we can have a more informed morality and that we don't lose sight of the subjects in our moral dilemmas or our moral propositions. And I agree wholeheartedly So when people that, say yeah. things like, well, what about Greece? They thought it was moral. I would say, well, what about the slaves in Greece? Did they think it was moral? Like, that's the ideas that I'm trying to push with this foundation. Right. All in an effort. I'll just point out to you that you're assuming in that argument that you're making right now mm -hmm. that the slaves in Greece didn't like it. Um, No, I'm saying ask them. Right. Yeah. I just want to make sure we're clear on the fact that, you know. I mean, you're, you'd be right in, in saying that I assume slaves don't want to be slaves. I mean, right. they are held against their will. They're not allowed to do anything they want to do. So Yeah, well, slavery's had its ups and downs. But to the degree there have been that they don't want to be slaves. Cities, so it's kind of like... But the degree know. to which they don't want to be slaves is the degree to which I would say it was immoral. Fair enough. Sure. Fair enough. Um, and since there's no way for me to ask them, then I do have to make a few assumptions. Right. Right. But it would involve deeper study. But I'm going to definitely know. hedge, to take your point. I'm going to assume that the slaves didn't want to be slaves, but I'm also going to hedge by saying to the degree to which they didn't want to be slaves is the degree to which I'll say it was immoral. So that accounts for maybe the few that did, or maybe they all did, and I just don't know it. But the degree to which we're doing it against these people's will and, you know, against their rights are the degree to which it's immoral. Yeah, see, it's a tricky question because then I come up with um, the Indians, right? American Indians, Native Americans. Um, uh, Aztecs, I think I recall. I, I recall a, a practice of um, common 
combat, you know, if you could tag your enemy in battle, not kill him, mm-hmm. tag him. He had to he had to give up. He had to say, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to fight anymore. I have to be your servant now for like a year or something. You know, it was like a, for, for like it became like an indentured servant or something. Mm-hmm. And it was horribly humiliating. I'd have to, this is, I'm pulling this out of my like life archives from when I was like a kid that I read about this. So sure. I'm probably getting some facts wrong here, but I'll still make this argument. Here you have a culture, an entire culture that is built up around the idea of honor and battle. And you have tribes that fight one another. And mm-hmm. This is just how it is, right? So it's made moral. It's, it's, we're, we're the reds, you're the blues, we're right, they're wrong, right? It's that simple uh, when you get into tribal warfare. And they're fighting over land or resources or whatever they're fighting over, right? Mm-hmm. And in this society, they've set up a system where when in combat, the warrior class, you know, if they get tagged. Tagged then, meaning like they get Yeah, like literally slap, you know, like you walk up and it. slap the guy or something, you know okay. what I mean? Like you get close enough to actually like, mm-hmm. you know, or capture him or whatever. I mean, this could all go, you know, we don't have to do the Native American one. I can go back to you know, ancient times where you get captured in battle. Sure. You know, if you're a soldier, you know, and you're a um, POW, basically, right, then you're a slave. And that's how it is in that society. And here's the kicker. Everybody agreed to it. Okay. So, the soldiers go into this knowing that at the end of this battle, they might be dead, they might be alive, but they might have been cap. They might be captured. And if they're captured, this is the terms of service. It's almost like click the button, right? This is the terms of service of being in the warrior class and going to battle is you could get captured and you could end up being a slave for let's say a year sure right let's just put it on that okay it's not even so, but i mean it, it doesn't really matter i mean you could be a slave for the rest of your life either way you you know you have fully informed consent going in what's possibly going to happen to you mm-hmm. and then it happens mm-hmm. and you get captured right so yeah you don't want that to happen but is it immoral oh. everybody's on board with that and this is the way society operates i guess it would depend on if they're on board with it or if they continue to be on board with it so they, that's the thing they sign it? up for it or whatever and then they get captured and then you ask them do you still want to be my slave and they say no then it would be immoral yeah but except for the fact that it breaks down the entire structure of the society oh. like this is how this is how those two <coughs> warring nations have agreed on their on their how they're going to get along sure. right and you look at you step back and you look at the bigger picture of it and you recognize that the slave economy that is existing between these two tribes is actually the thing that is producing the food or produce or raising the cattle or raising the kids or whatever the slaves are used for sure. because slaves were extremely useful back in the day. I'm talking way, way back when you had a slave economy, sure. right? So, if one person gets to opt out and another person, another person, you get a slippery slope, right? And then the whole thing falls apart. And then you have two societies that are completely collapsed because their slave economy opted out mm-hmm. and they didn't have another worker economy. And so, obviously, they would evolve or whatever things would change not necessarily for the better no, sometimes things things change drastically for the worst and one tribe slaughters the other one well that brings up a really good so question, there's though. moral questions at multiple levels that must be considered beyond individual morality I wanted to present that now, my argument could be full of holes but I don't think what's full I don't think I'm making a grossly whole you know Swiss cheese argument here in pointing out that there are levels to morality that, which was the main reason I was talking about mm-hmm. and you know, the opting out part, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to, uh, right now in our current culture, mm-hmm. I get arrested for, you know, I don't know, uh, hit and run or accident or something, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to put me in handcuffs and I go, I don't want to be in handcuffs. 
Well, I don't get to opt out of that. It's is it immoral that I am now, you know, arrested and, mm-hmm. you know, is that is that an immoral thing? Right. You know, well, maybe from my point of view, and this is where the relativity comes in, but from the cop's point of view, from the society's point of view, you know, like these the, these things are informed by multiple levels of reality. So, no, I, I just wanted to point valid. that out because if we only look at this from an individual perspective, mm-hmm. there are all kinds of rules and things we could come up with that will collapse every single society that that framework is ever introduced into. Sure. Because it's all about what individuals want. Sure. You know, and morality goes way beyond what any individual wants. It's it, a more morality is not about what an individual wants often. All right. Well, there was part one of my discussion with Chris on morality and moral systems. Uh, We're just about to talk about the final component that I want to bring to the table for this discussion, but I'm going to save that for a separate uh, episode. Um, I'm also going to do a pretty in-depth deconstruction of this conversation, Um, and I believe I'm going to include it in this season, although I might include it in next season. Um, But I think it's safe to say, though, that for what we discussed here, I wasn't getting a ton of buy-in from Chris. Now, I mentioned that in the, you know, in the introduction or whatever, but very interesting that I didn't and very interesting where he took us in his disagreements with me and the examples that he wanted to bring up. It leads me to think that he's getting stuck in a few traps. Just as an example, one of those traps is that he he brought up a few different things and um, his objections were largely, he largely essentially demonstrated to be either false by me or his objection to my system was handled actually quite nicely by my system. So, you know, I I was able to demonstrate to him that even though the child might be upset about not having enough candy, uh, you know, my system using objective reality, using objective morality, using subjective elements of morality is able to address the candy issue, right? I mean, it was almost comical in re-listening to this, how he thought that was going to derail my whole foundation. Like, really? I know he didn't mean it as an insult, but really, you think that my whole moral system, the whole foundation of what I'm talking about can be completely derailed by a a baby with candy? (laughs) You're literally going to take the candy from the baby here, and and apparently my moral system is the baby? It's like, come on. Uh, But anyway, that was just more comical to me than anything else. But, and I don't think he, like, I don't think he was trying to be insulting. I just think that it leads me to believe uh, that his misunderstanding is is quite deep. Now, what I was trying to say was, is so my moral system handled his problems. He kept bringing an issue to me and I kept explaining to him how that's not an issue. Or I kept showing him that that position was actually incorrect. You know, you can't say that it's wholly subjective. We recognize an objective morality and so on. So now he's initiated a couple of different disagreement points or points of clarification, perhaps. And I've uh, explained to him why my position handles that or why why it's not an issue. But for whatever reason, he feels like he has to get somewhere. He has to stake his position and he has to have a win. There has to be something that he says that's right. He can't walk away from this conversation without being right about something. This is a mind trap, I think, that he's getting into. I, I think that he is now, and you'll hear, you know, you just heard, he he was essentially saying slavery might be a good option for society. If, I mean, if they're a 
economy's based on it and the next best thing is slaughter of everybody. <laughs> I don't know why that would be the only other options or 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 why an you know basing your economy on slavery somehow justifies that slavery just because it's very useful the slaves are and so on. But I mean this to me was sort of the definition of taking a position on to a completely illogical conclusion. It seems anyway just because he wants to get something. He wants to try to poke a hole in my system and what he's not doing is just saying hey actually the system works pretty well i don't see that i can poke a hole in it and i'm certainly not willing to defend slavery right so maybe maybe we're onto something here he, he failed to get excited about the system and instead wanted to try to deconstruct it or take it down i don't know that this is exactly what was happening but i see this pretty often in the discussions that i have with people i had the same problem with nathan spears my fundamentalist christian um i've had problems with other people as well you saw it in episode three of season one of your seduction where i was talking to sort of a right-wing um, economic fundamentalist ian randian you know we talked about gay rights i think is the the title of the episode but it, it went into a whole weird place where it was like what what are you saying why are you saying that and there was a couple of times when you know chris said like well uh the people that claim that they're talking about morality and say it's because of the bible i mean the bible exists as if that's a if that is if that's evidence that what they're saying is valid or sound or that we should listen to what they're saying or that it has any merit in reality what are the facts that support for instance that homosexuals shouldn't be able to get married or have any of the same rights that we have what are the facts that support that if you just point to the bible and say well that's what it says in the bible well yes it does say that so that is a fact but are there any facts that actually support that gays shouldn't have the same quality of life as us or that they're somehow not the same thing as us or that they for some reason shouldn't have the same rights as us i could just right now write something down and publish it in a book and then point to that book and say see a fact that's that's not the same thing as evidence that doesn't evidently point to a conclusion that's sound or reasonable right so very odd and demonstrating a very clear misunderstanding of not just morality like basic morality right you know saying it's all relative and all that and and going into how what that means I, I don't know if you caught this but at the very beginning of the episode I warned him that we might fall into that trap I said a lot of people say to me such and such society was moral because they say they were moral and so on and then by the end of this podcast he was trying to convince me that that was true based on what he thought subjective morality was how he thought it was arbitrary how he thought it was relative so that's why I worry about those words when they're put forth in the name of morality and moral systems they're put forth in a couple of different contexts and so on and they have a couple of different definitions but what they generally lead to and this is the other thing that I think he got trapped in was they lead to fatalism and defeatism and let me just make sure that we're on the same page of what I mean by that so fatalism is the belief that all events are predetermined or therefore inevitable right there's a sub definition also a submissive outlook resulting from fatalistic attitude and they use the word fatalistic so that doesn't make a lot of sense but fatalism is engaged here in my at least that's the word that comes to my mind maybe you have a better word 
forward. If you do, by the way, email me earseductionpodcast at gmail.com. But this to me reeks of fatalism for one very specific reason, that there's nothing we can do about it. He's, he's assuming essentially that there's nothing that can be done, which leads me to the second ism that he's engaging in, which is defeatism. So defeatism is an attitude of accepting, expecting, or being resigned to defeat. If it's already preordained, then what's the point? In his words, it's so complex. It's so complicated. It's got so many layers. These are all words he very specifically used to describe what moral systems entail and what encompasses a moral system. And you have to take into account so many things. Well, this just leads to defeatism. It just leads to the sense that, well, what's the point? I can't do anything about it. It's already predetermined. That's fatalism, right? So the point I'm trying to get across by bringing this up is it's not predetermined. We can, you can, I can hopefully inspire you to actually believe this way and think of the power that you'll have when you are engaged in reality to build your moral system. Think of what that's going to do for not only the certainty of your conviction, right? Which the word certainty he brought up also, which he was very uncomfortable with. He built up an impossible standard. He was saying essentially at one point, look, if we can't prove that climate change is for sure going to do what we say it does, then maybe we have to tread lightly. Well, no, I'm sorry, but we don't. We build probability models. We can do the exact same thing with moral situations. We can do it in the way that he described with uh, climate change, right? We know to a certain degree exactly how far the ocean's going to rise. Now, if it rises to this degree, we know to a certain degree exactly how much damage it's going to cost, pain and suffering and, and lost. Think of all the fortunes that will be lost when houses go underwater. Houses, by the way, real estate are the number one thing that build wealth in the United States. Imagine what's going to happen to the people that are trying to be wealthy with their uh, beachfront property. Imagine what's going to happen to them. Imagine what's going to happen to the people that live two streets inland or four streets inland, the people that don't have as much money. Now they're looking at not a beach four blocks away, but a house that's underwater with a bunch of trash floating in the waves and no beach, right? It's it's a road or it's somebody's yard or it's a, a overflown flowing pool or something else, a bunch of dead trees and, and shrubbery. Now, I'm a little off topic, but I think the point I'm trying to make here, final word or the final thought before I lose my mind, I guess, is that this method of thinking, this idea that you have to have absolute certainty, it's another mind trap. It's another one we saw with my fundamentalist Christian. It's the ideas that I'm prescribing, the things that I'm saying, using evidence to build your moral system, having a scientific worldview, engaging with reality on reality's terms, right? Maybe you're not the best thinker. Maybe you should let other people do some of the thinking for you. Maybe you should borrow some ideas from other people because coming up with it on your own isn't doing you much service. Some of these ideas here that I'm that I'm trying to propose, they can catch on. I'm not fatalist. I don't think that you're not going to get this. I think you can embrace this. I think the whole world can become a better place by embracing this type of thinking. And I want to try to help people get there. Now that sounds very egocentric and I readily understand, but I don't think that it is wrong of me to encourage us as a community to engage with reality, to, to really hone our epistemology and to utilize everything we can from science and the scientific method to, to incorporate that into our worldview and to then learn how to treat people better based on the facts of reality. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ear Seduction. <laughs>